0: Well, good evening and welcome to our live stream of Heavenly Memories. Uh, We're here together, Wes and I, to discuss heaven again and I'm so excited. It's going to be a great evening for us to
1: study tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Even just a conversation we were having a moment ago, thinking about few different topics that we'll cover uh, this evening but as you can see on your screen if you have any questions this evening we'd love to hear from you so feel free to text those questions in we may not get to all of them because we've got a lot of ground to cover uh, but we are eager to hear from you what's on your mind as you think about heaven particularly in these days as you think about our eternal destination for those of us who are in christ Uh, It's good for us to ask questions, ask what the scriptures say, as we've been doing. So we look forward to hearing those questions from you. As we begin, Andy, before we get to any of the questions we've got here, just by way of review, can you kind of take us through what we've covered? It's hard to believe, but this is the seventh week we've been together in this format, and so we've covered a lot of ground. Maybe take us through some of the high points of what we've looked at so far.
0: Absolutely. So uh, the purpose of the book is to talk about uh, what heaven will be like, to set our hearts on things above, and on things to come and the central concept of heaven is that it's all about a revelation of the glory of God the radiant shining display of the attributes of God and we learn in Revelation 21 and 22 that there's no need for the light of the, uh, of the Sun or the moon or of a lamp to shine in New Jerusalem because the glory of God will give it light mm. and glory as I said is a display of God who God is etc and, and what I'm arguing in the book is that some of the experience we'll have of God's glory in heaven, not all of it, but some of it, we'll be looking backward, looking back at what God did in this present age in redemptive history for his own glory to work in history to assemble a multitude from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And so that backward look at history with God, the perfect history teacher, showing us his glory, that's what the book has been about. Now, last week, we looked at the immensity of all of human history, 6,000 years of recorded history. Um, we had a, a big huge timeline uh, unfolded, <laughs> uh, like 15 foot long thing up in the okay. wall and just these tributaries of nations and rulers and all that. And then God rules over that whole thing. And there's a purpose to all of it. It's not random. There's a, a definite story being unfolded. but. Tonight, we're going to piggyback on some of that and zoom in on some specific aspects of that 6,000 years of history.
1: So what I'm going to do is just kind of outline the the three or so topics. Obviously, there's little tributaries, like you mentioned, that kind of run off of each of these. But uh, I'll mention these, and then if you can kind of give us an overview of these ideas. So the first is God's control over human governments for the spread of his gospel. So that's one. The second is our heavenly relationship with the heroes and heroines of church history, including many who are obscure, maybe that we've never even heard of. Mm. The third is our heavenly education in the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Mm. So those are three kind of headings, uh, maybe a brief description of what we're talking about when we say this.
0: Okay, so first, uh, God rules over the rulers. He rules over the movers and shakers. Um, There are kings and emperors and and mighty, mighty governmental figures, and the Bible is very clear that God sovereignly rules over those, and we're going to talk about that, specifically over those that are set against the gospel, tyrants, uh, wicked oppressors, or indifferent rulers who didn't care that much. We could also look, and there's a very small percentage of those that openly use their rulership for the spread of the gospel of Christ. But my focus is more on uh, the domination of these tyrants and the effort effort they have to crush the kingdom of Christ and how God rules over them. And Psalm 2 is a key text for us in that. Uh, The second is just the individual heroes and heroines, men and women of God, who did great things. Hmm. Not every star shines equally brightly. In history or in heaven and so it's going to be amazing for us to get to know some of the great men and women personally in heaven but what's also interesting to me are people who are great who did great things according to God Hmm. who who saw what they did and the significance of it but they never made it into the pages of recorded history no one knows about them they are obscure heroes and we want to talk some about that and then the third uh, aspect just has to do with the story of really outlined in Acts 1-8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the story of the gospel in particular, of missions, of the spread of the name of Jesus Christ to distant lands over 20 centuries is a glorious story. And we're going to learn it in heaven. So that's exciting. We're going to look at three those three things tonight.
1: Awesome. One of the things you mentioned under that first heading was Psalm 2. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how Psalm 2 relates to God's sovereign control over tyrants. And maybe just so that folks know Mm -hmm. what we're talking about, I'd love to read just the first nine verses of Psalm 2, if that's all right. So Psalm 2 uh, begins this way in verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one let us break their chains they say and throw off their fetters the one enthroned in heaven laughs the lord scoffs at them then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying i have installed my king on zion my holy hill i will i will proclaim the decree of the lord he said to me you are my son today i have become your father ask of me and i will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth your possession you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery.
0: Well, Psalm 2 is amazing. And and for us, as we read in the New Testament, especially in Acts chapter four, when the persecution against the church of Jesus Christ first begins, Mm. when Peter and John heal a lame beggar in Acts three, and they're hauled up in front of the authorities, And they are warned to not preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The very thing Jesus had said was going to happen. They're going to arrest you. They're going to haul you in front of the synagogues Mm -hmm. and be brought before governors and kings on my account, on account of the gospel. He predicted it would happen. Now it's beginning to happen. They got together, the apostles did, in that Jerusalem church. And they prayed in light of the impending persecution in the words of Psalm 2. Mm -hmm. So they point back to Psalm 2. They show how... Pontius Pilate and Annas and Caiaphas and all that plotted against Jesus and now they're seeking to crush uh, the kingdom of Christ. And so Psalm 2 is very very important. The thing about Psalm 2 is so beautiful is the idea of the transcendent majesty of Almighty God. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, Isaiah 40 says, Mm. and the people are like grasshoppers. The nations are like a drop from the uh, from a bucket and dust on the scales. Well that's applied specifically to the rulers. The rulers are conspiring And plotting against the Lord, against Almighty God, and against his Christ, but they do so in vain. Mm. And what I especially love is how it says that the one enthroned in heaven laughs at them. And so the laughter of God is something we are going to enjoy in heaven as we look at how God has thwarted and blocked and controlled and maneuvered and manipulated and killed um, and used tyrant rulers again and again in every generation for his own glory.
1: So I'd love for you to talk a little more about that idea of God's laughter because, Mm -hmm. you know, we we were talking earlier. It's just a unique phrase in this psalm and then quoted again in Acts 4. Mm -hmm. Uh, How will God's laughter over these puny efforts to stop the advance of Christ's kingdom be fully revealed in heaven? You started to hint at that, but tell tell us more. How will that be revealed?
0: Well, first of all, we have to understand it's a laughter of omnipotence. It's a laughter of absolute sovereignty. It's really a laughter of derision, Mm -hmm. a laughter of of. Of mockery. Almighty God is infinitely above every created being, infinitely above Satan, infinitely above every archangel, infinitely above every human. And so when human rulers shake their puny little fists at God and say they're going to topple God from his throne, it's laughable. It's it's absolutely laughable. Mm. Um, But also I think in history, if you know what to look for, you can start to see God's laughter woven into providence. So let me tell you a story that uh, that I heard a number of years ago about the tyrant that opposed the spread of the gospel in communist China, Mao Zedong and mao was was a a an absolute tyrannical force in China, dominated the Chinese people. some of the uh, one of the greatest killers ultimately of human beings in history. Uh, maybe as many as a hundred million Chinese uh, died because of his policies or his specific Uh, persecution. Sometimes policies had to do with with famines or, you know, government collectivization of farms that resulted in people dying. Mm -hmm. But he specifically was opposed to the Church of Jesus Christ and specifically hated missionaries. And so he zeroed in, and I heard this whole story from my missions professors, one of the greatest stories I ever heard, Mm -hmm. how the Communist Party in China, under Mao's leadership, sought to crack down on Christianity. And they were just killing Christians. They were just slaughtering Christians, Mm -hmm. incarcerating, torturing, slaughtering. And he was just grinding down the church to nothing. When suddenly he stopped and said, "You know, we could just kill all the Christians, but instead of killing them all, I want to to ridicule the basic idea of Christianity. And so I want to take the few Christians that are left and I want to humiliate them. And I find that Christians do best when they're clustered together, gathered together. So like a fire, I'm going to kind of separate out all of the twigs and logs and so they'll all go out. And so he takes Chinese Christians and scatters them all over the country. And at that point, my mission, you're laughing right now. <laughs> the, 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 my mission professor, professor just stopped and said, and so Mao and the Chinese communist party became the single greatest missionary sending agency of the 20th century in China. Furthermore, the laughter is not done yet. In each of the communities, the, the communist officials decided to further humiliate Christians by giving them menial jobs like garbage collectors and postal carriers that are going from house to house every day, humiliated and all that. Mm. It isn't long before there's there are just tens and tens of millions of Christians all over China. That is God's laughter. Here he takes the conspiracies and the plottings of tyrants and turns the whole thing around and spreads the gospel.
1: I love that we can get glimpses of that now. And I just think as we've even considered how we'll be Upgraded or upfitted in heaven to take in and comprehend and see all of God's work throughout history How many more stories like that we'll hear and be able to celebrate together? Can
0: can I make you laugh again? Here's another one. I heard this one uh, through some missions connections that I have and uh, You know don't know if it's fiction or not wink wink Uh, because (laughs) this thing's going on in our time not Mm. back in the 1950s But it deals with two countries that we would think of as very hostile to the gospel Iran and Cuba All right. So Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran had significant medical needs and needed medical doctors to come in. But they didn't want it coming from the from the West, from America, Europe and all that. It seems strangely they had a partnership with communist Cuba.
1: Hmm.
0: And so a lot of Cuban doctors were being asked to come over and address the medical need in Iran. Well, it turns out that there's a revival going on in Cuba. And I've actually have a personal friend that has gone a number of times to shepherd and to be involved in some of the revival that's going on in that little communist island country. So guess what doctors are selected and are volunteering to go to Iran to do medical work? All of them evangelical, committed, missions-minded Christians. So the Islamic Republic of Iran is paying for missionaries to come in and spread the gospel though they don't know it. Now course that whole thing is might just be a fiction we'll find out in heaven if it's true or not <laughs>
1: we'll get all the details we'll get all the
0: details out. but the That's laughter great. is beautiful to see how God takes the hostility and the rage and the wrath of man and turns it around for the spread of the gospel
1: when you think about it, even the way that made me laugh even as yeah. you told the story what a comfort that is to know that in spite of mm-hmm. what can appear to be just horrible persecution mm-hmm. even The stories you were describing about Mm -hmm. Communist China uh, and thinking though how God is still working in the midst of that even perhaps in ways we don't comprehend or see.
0: We're not in any way minimizing the incredible suffering of our brothers and sisters in those Mm -hmm. countries. I mean they were being tortured and dying and so there's no laughter there but the laughter is in heaven Um, and the martyrs go with tremendous honor in heaven. And when they see God's plan and see how God used them in their lives, there's just a joy. There's going to be a joy of laughter in heaven. But this is a repeated theme in the Bible. uh, And it goes right back very clearly to the way that God basically abused Pharaoh. And he says in, in Exodus 9, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Well, it's not just Pharaoh God did that with. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar. He did it with with Caesar. He, I mean, he just plays these guys like fiddles. He, he, he raises them up and uses them.
1: Wow. You know, there's another Psalm, Andy, that you've mentioned before as being pretty significant in mm-hmm. your thinking on this topic. Uh, in Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26, uh, I can read that yeah, if that's please. helpful. So uh, verse 25 and 26 in Psalm 18 say, To the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure, but to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. Mm. How do these two verses connect with God's laughter in Psalm 2 and his control over time? Well,
0: I'm zeroing in on that last word, shrewd. So if you come at God crooked, thinking you're going to trick him or be devious toward him, etc., you'll find he's even trickier than you. Mm. And so I think this comes down to that that regular principle, if you dig a pit you're going to fall in it. If you roll a stone, it's going to roll back on you. The measure you use is the measure you're going to receive. Mm -hmm. Think very clearly of the story of Esther and then Haman and -hmm. how he plotted to hang Mordecai on this gallows that he had built in his backyard. Well, who ends up hanging on it but Haman? So that again is the way the whole thing turns around. You can't be trickier than God. Uh, the ultimate example of this, of course, is Satan, who is the trickiest being there is and who worked and plotted with Judas and with uh, Annas and Caiaphas and then, you know, got got Pontius Pilate under his thumb and all that. Mm-hmm. To the end of that, they would use their power to kill Jesus. He manipulated the whole thing and in so doing destroyed himself. Mm-hmm. So, you, God is playing at a much higher level and there's going to be a pleasure a delight in heaven at seeing the details of how he did that in every generation how many kings and rulers and how many emperors and you know you know Genghis Khan and and you know all of them uh Napoleon Hitler how God again and again uses these these tyrants and these mighty men and these movers and shakers in ways that he chooses to do you can't defeat the lord and his christ mm-hmm. he ends up laughing at you
1: wow so let's move from the book of Psalms to another Old Testament book, uh-huh. the book of Daniel. Okay. How does the book of Daniel also show God's sovereign control over human governments for the benefit of his people?
0: Okay, so uh, there's so much about uh, human government in the book of Daniel. It's one of the major themes and that God sovereignly controls mm-hmm. those, those empires. And We talked about this last week and we've mentioned it before. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, you've got the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, of, a, of a statue of a man. With a head of gold and chest and arms of silver and belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron and feet partly iron, partly clay. They represent the progress of empires. Well, each of them have specific emperors, hmm. uh, specific rulers. And Nebuchadnezzar was the first and he gets dealt with in chapter four where his mind gets changed into the mind of an animal. And then he is changed back into the mind of a man. And when he does so he praises god for his sovereign control over human governments Mm -hmm. he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the kingdoms of the earth he raises up one and lowers the other and nebuchadnezzar is openly celebrating this so we're going to get to heaven and celebrate god's great power over these mighty nations Mm -hmm. now the very next chapter belshazzar thoroughly corrupt individual. Weak, not like Nebuchadnezzar, but corrupted and all that. And the writing comes on the wall in that very night. He dies and the next empire comes along. Interestingly, Daniel is the third highest ruler in the one and then becomes the third highest ruler in the next kingdom. That never happens. So God is sovereignly controlling all these things. But it's not until chapter 7 and beyond that we get the apop- apocalyptic, the prophetic vision of where this is all going. We've got the, the sea, this turbulent sea, and up out of the sea come beasts, four beasts, one after the other, and they represent human empires. Mm. Uh, one after the other, they're, they're beasts because they just seem to be mindless killing machines, one after the other. And the turbulent sea represents um, godless humanity, but not organized, just turbulent and undulating. And up out of that comes a beast that's kind of organizing all that and dominating. And how God sovereignly rules over all that, orchestrates how long they're going to live, mm-hmm. is able to put an end to them. Within the fourth most terrifying beast, it's not even defined, it's not like a lion or a bear or a leopard, it's not that it's just a terrifying beast generally thought to represent the Roman Empire, there's this horn that comes up that represents ultimately the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Very interesting uh, interpretation, but the final form of Of human government will be the reign of antichrist right before the second coming of Christ and the greatest persecution there will ever have been of Christians will be in that point at that point and and what Daniel tells us is that God is sovereignly ruling over all of it controls all of it at the end the Saints will inherit the earth we're going to inherit
1: the kingdom so I want to talk about some of those Saints uh, the idea of heroes and heroines of church history but kind of between this first topic that we've talked about and this one that we're about to talk about a question came in that I think fits in that space so uh, you know we've talked a little bit about angels demons kind of the spiritual realm Uh, the question here is with regard to angels will we interact with them and learn their stories how they worked in our lives without us even realizing I think it's definitely related to Governments and the spiritual realm that we can't see and how God has worked. So maybe any any other thoughts? on Well, I wouldn't
0: mind devoting a whole evening to that. I I wrote it's gonna be a whole chapter in my book Which is the spiritual realms angels and demons, but let me just give you a a foretaste. Yes I believe we're gonna look back at all of the angelic and demonic warfare Mm -hmm. That was going on that we could not handle watching if we saw it we would we would not be able to get off uh, off the ground Even if all you saw were glorious, radiant angels, think of the reaction of godly people when just angels came. And they always had to begin the same way. Fear not (laughs) or don't be afraid. Tells you something
1: about the uh, typical response to angels.
0: But imagine if you, Wes, you had an average Wednesday. Let's say you woke up this morning, but you were woken up with radiant light in your room, such as you've never seen before. And an archangel is there and saying, we've been dispatched by Almighty God, we and ten other angels to protect you today because you're going to need that level of protection. Because now look beyond us to see the demonic opposition you're going to face today. I wouldn't, how do
1: you get out of bed?
0: Yeah. You're, you're done. Definitely
1: make, don't make it past that front door. So God
0: <laughs> hides it from us, does mm-hmm. not show it to us because we can't handle it. Wow. But when we get to heaven, he will show us both angelic ministry, how some entertain angels without knowing it, but even more than that, angels will be serving us, ministering to us, and or were ministering to us, we'll see that. But then how demons were opposing the spread of the gospel, were doing all of these things. And it's relevant, thank you for asking that question, it's relevant uh, also to governments. Because there's a demonic side to the non-Christian governments. That, that Satan, through demons, is ruling over mm. wicked governments on earth.
1: You talked a little bit about that, even just with relation to the governments that were involved in, in Jesus' death. Sure. You know, that... There was an element of that where Satan was his own downfall. And so the demonic influence there. And so, yeah, it's a great question. And hopefully we'll have a chance. Maybe even next week. Maybe. Who knows?
0: That that, that might be a great topic for next week.
1: That's great. And so any more questions that you have, we'd love to hear uh, from you. Uh, But we're going to continue on now and talk about what we alluded to a moment ago, heroes and heroines of church history. Mm -hmm. How will we get to know them in heaven?
0: Okay. Well, key text, of course, is Matthew chapter 8 where it says, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So imagine just having an evening with Abraham, talking to him about what it was like to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to the promised land and and all of the different things that happened to him that are recorded in the Bible and Excitingly, things that were never recorded in the Bible. Tell us other things. How did you get to identify or recognize the voice of Almighty God? Even to the point of when he told you to take your son, your only son Isaac whom you loved and offer him as a sacrifice. How did you know that was God to have that conversation? Well, take that and multiply it more than you could count with tremendous figures, individuals from church history beyond Bible time on into you know, into uh, our present day and beyond, all of the great men and women, to be able to have an evening with each of them. So the more you study church history, you start to have an affinity for key individuals. Like here over my my hearth, you can't see it, but there's a picture of George Whitfield standing up in a barrel preaching the gospel. He's just one of my heroes. Yeah. I'd like I'd just like to hear about his life. I want to hear about how God led him. Oh, here's Martin Luther, yeah. which we can make agree there with anything we say. It. Do you agree? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to yeah, know he's you brother. Just thinking about Well, he's, yeah, he's not sure. <laughs> Little Here indecisive sometimes. There's Luther. Be able to talk about what it was like for him. Hmm. You know when he, you know, took his life in his hands at the Diet of Worms and defended the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so you get all of this in the Bible, where you have at the end of David's life a listing of David's mighty men, and what they did, their exploits. How one of them went down into a snowy pit and killed a lion with his bare hands, something like that. Or another another guy who did this, or another guy who did that. Just tremendous uh, courage. Uh, and, and some of the, the great names, like like Nathan said in 2 Samuel 7, uh, verse 9 to David, now I'll give you one of the great names like the greatest men of the earth. Mm. And so there is such a thing as heroes. Now, we're not going to worship heroes. no hero worship. But we will have relationships with people who did great things, great exploits, men and women who did great things for Almighty God. To be able to develop those relationships, ask them questions, And if what I said a few weeks ago is true, to be able to actually see Mm -hmm. what they did. You know, that God in a visionary way will show us how he worked in history through these great men and women.
1: So you talked there about kind of sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which I I can't even imagine just to sit down and hear those stories. Because there are, there's those things where you kind of wonder what happened between point A and point B in different narratives in in the Old Testament, or let's Mm -hmm. say even... Uh, between uh, scenes in the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. Wondering, all right, on that walk, what, okay. what did you talk about? What was going on there? Yes. So that's that's some of these heroes and heroines that we know about even now. Mm-hmm. What about obscure people? Because yeah. not everyone is as well known as an Abraham, an Isaac, a Jacob, a Luther, a Whitfield. Mm-hmm. So what about obscure people? Uh, what will heavenly memories reveal about some unsung heroes of churches? This
0: is gonna be one of the most exciting parts of my book to write about, mm-hmm. um, but also, I can't write about some of it, uh, most of it because I don't know who they are. <laughs> That's why they're obscure. They didn't make it on the pages of history. So mm-hmm. I will have to by almost by definition speculate. But I have good grounds uh, for it saying that the greatest of all of us will be the servant of all. The most humble are the greatest. And so it's stand a reason, you know, that if Jesus says the 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 most humble are the greatest there will be some that were in their humble service to God rather unnoticed in mm-hmm. life they were obscure they were not famous they were not recorded they were not written down about and they might have given more than anyone else think about the, the widow who put in those two little copper coins and uh, this is in Luke 21 also in, in Mark's gospel as well Jesus said, do you see all of these The wealthy people putting in out of their excess, but this woman put in all She had to live on. She gave more than anyone. Well, as you look at that, it's really quite remarkable because um, her contribution wouldn't have even been noted by anyone. Jesus takes what she did and expands it mm-hmm. and highlights it. I think she then with her two little copper coins represents Unsung, obscure individuals. Servants whose works were hidden from the pages of history we don't know anything about. But they're going to be thrilling people to learn about and, and to find out what God did in and through them. Another example is uh, the book of First Chronicles. You have all of these genealogies, and let's be honest, we don't <laughs> know 90% of these people. Who are they? We know almost nothing about mm. them. But God wanted their names written down in eternal scripture. And I think the lesson is that the overwhelming majority of God's people are going to be obscure. And God knows who they are. He knows their names and has written down their exploits in his own book. And we'll find out about them in heaven.
1: What an encouraging thing for us just to think about our own lives, right? That mm-hmm. that we can be faithful with whatever the Lord's entrusted to us. And may never be known by anyone but our family and our local church. But in God's economy, we have an opportunity to give more than we ever thought possible if we're faithful with what He's given us to do.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I think about that too, and it just gives you a sense there. If you, The more you meditate, meditate on this, you're wired then to try to find the humble servant in the church, or the person you know, and say, you know, God sees what you do, mm. and the things that you do uh, will never be forgotten. Now, let me say a word here, and we talked a little about this, about the, just the role of women in redemptive history. For the most part, when you read the pages of church history, they're dominated by men, they are the the leaders. Uh, God raised, raises up men to lead, and that's the usual pattern in the Bible and, and not in any way questioning that. But the contribution of women is indispensable, and and many of the most obscure heroes will be women, heroines who were, were wives, mothers, who raised families, who did certain things, and their works will never be forgotten. And the way that I, I really like to zero in on that is Proverbs 31, which says, give her her reward at the gate. Let her works praise her at the gate. The gate is the place of honor hmm. in the community. So that honor hasn't happened yet. It's happening in the future.
1: And as we make the move here to this third point, I think just thinking about what you've talked about before with the power of the proclamation of the Gospel in the home. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the number of souls yeah. who will be in heaven as a result of faithful mothers, mothers who yeah. shared the Gospel, who invested the Word of God in their children. What a what a unique blessing and role. Think about even my own mother and her faithfulness yeah. to be in the Word and just set an example. It's it, No one knows about that. Yeah. I barely know about that. I was never up early enough to catch her doing that before all the other things that were on her plate. Yeah. but. Every now and then to catch a glimpse of that and just think, wow Lord, thank you for her faithfulness as well.
0: We're going to honor them we're going to honor the women and and I think that's why I love that it was a it was a, a widow a woman who put in the two copper mm-hmm. coins and Jesus is seeing her he's saying, I see you." Hmm. I see what you're doing and he in the end isn't it true he in the end is all that matters if he's pleased if he's going to elevate you doesn't matter what anybody else sees or knows so we got the the obscure people in history we're gonna get to know who they are it's exciting
1: I love that so we've talked about government and God's rule and reign over that talked now about heroes and heroines both those that we know and the unsung heroes and heroines that we know nothing about in this life But let's talk a little bit about the expanse of the gospel and God's reign and rule over that. How will the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth be the centerpiece of our heavenly education?
0: Right. So uh, what I said last week is, you know, that 6,000 years of all the the nations of the earth and all of that, I really do believe that there will be no distinction in heaven between secular and sacred history. Mm. It's all going to be God's story because God had a purpose for everything. You know, there are elect and reprobate and God had a purpose for everyone, vessels of mercy, vessels of wrath. And so He, everything is his story ultimately. But there's a specific story of how the elect chosen before the foundation of the world are redeemed in each geographical locality in every generation of church history. What a story that is going to be. And it's, it's very simple to say from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria. To the ends of the earth. Well, I mean, Jerusalem a is the capital city. <laughs> Judea, Samaria is like right there. And the rest is the rest. And so here, here what we've got is we've got the movement of the gospel beginning at Jerusalem. What the scripture says again and again, to the ends of the earth. And so sometimes in Isaiah 42, it talks about the distant islands or the mm-hmm. distant coastlands. So you think about the the geographical moving out from Jerusalem of apostles yes but also a simple lay people men and women who are on caravans or doing trades or on ships going places and they share the gospel wherever they go and we don't know who they are i think it's glad i'm glad that we just talked about obscure people we don't know who they are we just know that the gospel kept spreading in every generation mm. so you think about some some mountain range and there's some some christian people in a community and there's some people they know that are living on the other side of the mountain range, and there's maybe an economic reason to go and trade with those people or whatever. But the Christians are saying, yeah, there's some people over there we want to meet. They're not professional ministers or missionaries. They're just going to go with the caravan and and maybe do some trading themselves, but they're going to talk about Jesus when they get there. And now in that valley, you've got you know, some Christians that that start to raise their families and, and bring up their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, and so it spreads. Mm. Um, I had a friend of mine that sent me a, a, a quote from a history of missions, and he's talking about the church in Africa, specifically in North Africa, in the second and third centuries. Oh, wow. And we have specific mention of some bishops that came, 70 of them from one province representing 70 parishes. And we actually have no historical record whatsoever of where those churches came from, how they were formed. They just came, they just popped up. A number of years ago, I also heard a story um, that many of you may have heard about, about how Easter Island and some of these South Pacific Islands were settled. And Thor Heyerdahl, who is an anthropologist, I I don't believe he was a Christian, but Mm -hmm. from Norwegian, Norwegian or Norway, um, showed how you could follow certain trade routes From Chile um, along this kind of path in the in the South Pacific to those distant islands it was just a bunch of logs strapped together using those ancient techniques and he made it so I'm thinking if Thor Heyerdahl can do it maybe some Christians could do it in the third fourth sixth eighth century and there might have been churches that sprung up Mm -hmm. and developed and then eventually died off through disease or through attack from cannibals or some other thing But they're Christians. They're up in heaven now. Just the stories of the spread of the gospel. So that's the unknown, obscure stuff. Then there's the stuff we do know. I mean, church history uh, is made up of that story. How the gospel moved, how within three centuries the emperor Constantine declared himself to be a Christian. You know, whether he is or not matters a lot for him. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's just like that shows how rapidly the gospel had spread through the Roman Empire. Think about this. If you had told Pontius Pilate, this man, this carpenter you're killing here, 300 years from now, the emperor of Rome will declare himself to be a follower and worshiper of this man. What would Pilate have said? Like, How could that be? So it's just a remarkable spread, the conquest, spiritual conquest of the Roman Empire. We're going to see that played out for us. And then it just keeps going. What about courageously witnessing in the Mongolian Empire or with the Vikings in the northern part of Europe? How the Vikings eventually came to faith in Christ, many of them, not all of them, but many. Just incredible stories. It's so exciting.
1: I know. And even as you you talk about that, you think about how much there must be that we don't know. You know, I was mentioning just earlier (laughs) the very few things that I learned throughout any Mm -hmm. given day and the fact that that's just one Person's perspective on mm-hmm. one narrow sliver yeah. of history, mm-hmm. and that God is doing infinitely more than I'm observing in this moment, and I'm astounded by some of the things I learn in a day. Yeah. Even some of the stories that we get to talk about as we reflect on heaven and the spread of the gospel. So it's just amazing to think how many of those there would be, and and why we need eternity to learn. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, I you know I, I think about I don't know movie night in heaven. There's no night in heaven, but. God said, "God saying, tonight, everyone, gather around. I want to show you how the gospel first came to China. Mm. I want to show you the story. So let's talk about how the gospel moved along this trade route, along the Silk Road, let's say, or eventually to the inland regions of China, uh, centuries and centuries before even Marco Polo mm. or something like that. And we're going to be, we're going to be thrilled, and and actually." Meet the brothers and sisters that were one to Christ, and have that fellowship and discuss. So, what was that like for you? And and how did that? And then have the Lord Jesus there explaining His aspect and what He did um, to work it. That's just one little detail. Well, it'll never get old.
1: Yeah. Well, Andy, this is incredibly helpful. I mean, we've covered a lot of territory really quickly. I think about uh, even just talking about governments and right now how we're even thinking about governments and the Lord's sovereign rule over all that thinking about different people that it'll be exciting to learn about and then how the gospel is spread. Any thoughts uh, as you've reflected on these mm-hmm. themes that are going to be in this book that you're working on? Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts that you have that just have uh, refreshed your own mm-hmm. walk with the Lord, love for the Lord in this time as you've as you've thought about these themes?
0: You know, what it makes me realize is just the significance of every single day. That that this is the day the Lord has made. He's doing things all over planet Earth today. Mm-hmm. Even this COVID-19 time, mm-hmm. God has a purpose. And there are things that are going on. He is winning lost people to faith in Christ through this. He's establishing churches. He's developing leaders. He's using this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and how we can learn what how he used the bubonic plague in the 14th century when so many more percentage-wise died. So many more and then God orchestrated it and how God used that. And I guess what it does, it gives me a sense of wonder and amazement at the meticulous details and the great power of God in Providence. Uh, It gives me not fear about what's going on now, uh, but I'm excited to see what God can do. It gives me hope um, it helps me to kind of overturn any of that depression and discouragement mm-hmm. that comes in the book of Ecclesiastes, saying life is meaningless. There's no purpose to anything. That is just as far from the truth as could be. Mm-hmm. So the more I've studied these themes, the more convinced I am of that, and the more excited I am to get to heaven and learn the things God wants to teach me. Yeah.
1: What an encouragement. and And what an encouragement to us also to just reflect on the Word of God, thinking about these themes that are... Throughout Scripture and as we put together these different pieces and think about what the Lord does in overseeing governance even that Psalm 2 passage thinking about the laughter of God what that means God is not threatened by any human government human achievement that he's working uh, even now and that we can trust him
0: yeah the challenge for me is you know I'm working on first Corinthians sermons too and the one I was working on this week Is that phrase when Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, talked like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He's talking about now here on earth compared to going to heaven. Mm -hmm. So our thoughts of God are childish compared to what they'll be in heaven. So also our thoughts of heaven are childish compared to what we'll actually experience there. So my book is like going to be a coloring book. All (laughs) right. And in heaven, we'll get to see the reality. So that's pretty
1: exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. Hard to hard to believe. Just all of the things that we don't fully comprehend and understand. But it's encouraging to think about. Andy, this has been helpful for my own heart, even just in thinking about these themes and thinking about heaven. Uh, would you pray for us yep. and for those who are with us this evening uh, that we Same. would uh, be mindful of these things and that it would encourage us in our own
0: heart. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this uh, this rapid overview of three mm-hmm. very uh, deep, rich, full topics. Uh, Namely, your sovereign control over the rulers of the earth, even tyrants that set themselves against the gospel. Mm -hmm. You laugh and you rule over them and you warn them also to repent themselves and that they would believe in Christ. And Lord, then for, for us to think in anticipation about the great men and women that we have never met, we will spend eternity with who did great things for Jesus and how we're going to honor them and delight in their rewards and celebrate them Mm -hmm. and find out even obscure people who did things we never heard about and to be able to learn what those obscure moments were all about that is going to be so thrilling and then finally to see the spread of the gospel from that upper room on the day of pentecost the outpouring of the holy spirit uh, to to roll like a tide, an irresistible tide of, of saving grace to the ends of the earth, how exciting that is. So I pray that you would just set our hearts on things above, set our hearts on things to come. Help us not to get weary or depressed or discouraged thinking that our labor in the Lord is in vain. It's not. Yeah. Help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org.